Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Man City Show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair. And as we run into Christmas week, Manchester City following eight straight Premier League wins are top of the league. Uh, They continue to break goal-scoring records without a a recognised striker. And they've also got a couple of boys on the naughty step as well. To discuss that and much more, I've got three guests fresh from Oldham. Welcome to John Stapleton. Hi, John. Long time since I was in Oldham, but yeah, yeah, sure. Indeed, fresh, <laughs> fresh, fresh from Prestwich. You'll see where I'm going in a minute. Fresh from Prestwich, we welcome Stephen Allwise. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Nigel. And fresh from Abu Dhabi. Ah. A golden-looking, an orange, almost orange-looking David Blakeney again. How was Abu Dhabi, David? Let's start with that. You know, you're going to, each year you're going to come on here and tell us about how your trip was for the Grand Prix, as always. Well, the first week was a Grand Prix, and that was magnificent. And... Um, I did note some ex-City players were there, including Name Sergio. Of Julian Lescott, Sergio and Mika apparently were there, according to the pictures I saw. And unfortunately, on the Sunday night, I tested positive for COVID. And if you test positive for COVID, you're not going anywhere. I went into uh, the local Abu Dhabi isolation hotel for a week, or six days. And I have to say thanks again to shape Mansour because they fund all the medical stuff I was given. They give you fantastic. They really look after you. And uh, so if I was going to be anywhere, that was a good place to be. So well, thank you, you shape Mansour. You're looking fit and well. It's good to have you back. And uh, everybody else safe and well, I hope. And uh, long may that continue. And the uh, question is uh, very Nigel, by the way. Yeah, please. I presume this is an after-work meeting. Are you serving cheese and wine? Uh, well, the the thing is, John, that that no photos are allowed. So I'm pretty. I've I've shut my windows here and all blind. You, looks like you've done the same. No, I've got someone appearing over a balcony. Actually, very good. Should we go there, John? I'm yeah. happy to go there if you want, and uh, we can talk no, no, about that no, as well. No. We, we will we will come on to COVID a bit later, I think, Thank because you. I think it is is front of mind. And uh, but yeah, great great photograph from uh, the balcony of 11 Downing Street, seen earlier today as well. 
Um, should we talk about football at some point? Or Stephen, yeah. do you want to raise something about COVID or, or Abu Dhabi hospitals or anything before we move on? Anything you want to talk about? Lovely, lovely files in the background. Well, I feel bad that I've got I've got nothing as glamorous as hanging out with Sergio, Micah and Jolien at the Grand Prix. No, I didn't hang out with I just read about them. John, let's, <laughs> let's start at Newcastle. Not not the most convincing team performance, but good enough to get a 4-0 will against struggling Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, uh, not spectacular first half, apart from that incredible goal from Cancelo. I mean, astonishing goal. Worth worth the trip to Newcastle just for that. Sadly, I couldn't make it, but now I was watching on television nevertheless. No, not the most sparkling uh, first half, but I thought throughout the game we were in cruise control, basically. Uh, I mean, I, I was never in any doubt that we were going to win the game, frankly. Uh, they gave us about 10, 15 minutes in the second half of the first half. I thought where we they, they looked a bit tastier than I'd imagined they might do. But apart from that, uh, it was no contest, really. It was men and boys, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, it's a very satisfying feeling at Christmas once again. To be to be top of the league, to be uh, you know three points ahead of Liverpool, having eradicated the goal difference between the two of us already, it's Christmas time. Given that we were so far behind at one stage on goal difference alone, uh, and Chelsea, well, not out of the picture by any means, but uh, well, further out of the picture than they were uh, prior to a couple of weeks ago. So, very satisfactory afternoon from our point of view, um, and uh, all round very good display. One or two players I can pick up a little bit later on for you if you like. I thought were particularly impressive, but overall great display. Stephen, your thoughts and reflections on obviously Newcastle struggling down the bottom. They, they have their moments in the game. Maybe could have had a penalty, you could argue, uh, but but pretty convincing all the same. Yeah, absolutely. Should have had a penalty. Um, we got away with one there. I thought we were really sloppy first half. Um, they didn't cause us too many issues. Um, you know, Edison didn't have to make that many saves because they're they're struggling and. They're short of goals and short of confidence and they they desperately need January to come around. Um, the second half was more of the city that we know, a bit more passing and control. And as soon as we got the second goal, as John said, from Cancelo, that just piece of brilliance, the result wasn't in doubt from there. It was just a case of how many we'd go on and score in the second half. Um, as Pep said after the game, it wasn't our best performance by, by any stretch of the imagination, but three points on a weekend when our closest rivals didn't pick up the three points is all you can ask for, really. And what stood out for you, David? John mentioned a couple of standout performances. Maybe we can go around just to pick out um, who for you stood out. Cancelo again. Um, I thought Edison did his job when he needed to. He did that pretty well. Um, but I think in general, it was just a bit sloppy. I don't... I haven't really got that many memorable moments apart from what Cancelo did. So I can't really pick out anyone in particular I thought was great. I thought a lot, I thought more of the people who weren't so great. And uh, Sinchenko was a little bit sloppy, wasn't he, in that first half? And some very, and normally he's pretty good with the ball. So I was more watching some of the poor passing than the good stuff, really. But yeah, the second half was better. But, um, so, so, John, do you want to pick up on Cancelo? We've talked about him over the last few weeks. What, what the season he's having an assist, a brilliant assist. I think most people would have given that up for, as a lost ball, but he got that back for the goal. And then his own goal as well. What, what a fantastic move and a brilliant finish as well. So he's on fire at the moment. He is. And it's very interesting, isn't it? You know, I mean, his first season with us, we didn't really 
take off, did he? And it's it's quite interesting that that happens to a number of players. I mean, I have to say, in my opinion, the same is true of Grealish. I, I've never come up, apart from that goal he scored against Leipzig, that stunning goal against Leipzig, I've never been that impressed with Grealish, to be honest with you. I've never come away from a game thinking, wow, Grealish was fantastic. Maybe we should. Maybe I'm being impatient. Maybe we should give him a bit more time. We gave Cancelo time, and what a what a bonus that's proved. I mean, he's a sensational player, sensational player. Wherever, wherever they put him, left back or, or or right back, so many goals to his credit, so many assists to his credit. It's it's amazing, really. I thought he was good. I slightly disagree with David about Zinchenko. You know, I'm a bit of a fan of Zinchenko from previous uh, encounters, uh, Nigel. Uh, I mean, yes, he lost the ball. I mean, he, he failed to control the ball a couple of times on, on, on the touchline, I think, from Edison once, from a defender on another occasion. But his pass for the for the Mahrez goal was spot on, you know, as as was uh, the pass by Jesus uh, in, in, for Ryan Sterling to score. So yeah, it wasn't entirely uh, bad news as far as Zinchenko was concerned. But Sterling played well. Cancelo was absolutely brilliant. And the whole defence. I mean, the fact we've only conceded nine goals all season so far in its Christmas is truly amazing, isn't it? We look back on previous encounters, even at Newcastle, where we've, you know, we've, we've, we've lost to the odd goal in, in the past and by more than that on one occasion, if I remember rightly. It's a, it's a pretty, good, pretty good performance. And to say we were a bit stale, a bit off, and we've won four another away from home, you know, come on, boys. Let's not be too harsh. And someone who's gone under the radar a bit is John mentioned Mares, Stephen. Uh, he's our top goal scorer and, and, and scored again. And uh, he's uh, he's he's looking all right. You're pulling the face there. As no, if no, no. Well, I, I, I thought he had a quiet game. I thought, to be fair, all of our attackers had a quiet game, but they've got that quality where they only need one chance. You know, the ball Zinchenko. I think I agree with both John and David. I thought he was sloppy first half Zinchenko but he is so good on the ball generally and I, I like him because he gives us that balance left foot and left back but he gave a few passes away and then he, he puts this inch perfect cross into Mares, who takes a really difficult chance on the volley the ball travelling that distance and he makes it look so easy because his his technical ability I mean his first touch is a joke it's, it's almost unfair how good his first touch is um, he looks good he makes things happen we've, we've said it before on here when we don't have that central strike who will score 20, 25 a season, you need everyone to chip in. And if you've got the likes of Mares and Sterling and Torres in previous years and Foden and Bernardo and De Bruyne and Gundogan all getting 10, 11, 12 a season, that adds up to your 25 plus. So I think Mares is, he's another one actually, when John said before that Cancelo took a year to adapt and Grealish might take that time. Mares took that time as well even though he'd come from the Premier League and knew the pace of the game, to adapt to Pep's system. Bernardo took a year as well. Sane didn't do much in his first year. It must be something that within Pep's demands for individuals and how they fit into the team, it does take time to adapt. Rodri is another one, didn't really do a lot in his first year, was better last season, I think has been unbelievable this season. But again, it must take time. So I'm not worried at all about Grealish uh, at this stage. There was a Spanish lad, I think uh, you may re- David Silva, I think was his name, you may remember him, I don't know. He, he also didn't have a great first season, I remember as well. So the, the, the names keep rolling off the tongue here, it seems to be a bit of a theme. Um, so, so do the records keep tumbling as well, David. Um, yeah. We've not got a recognised striker, uh, we've touched on it. I'm not sure if it's 105 or 106 goals in 2021, but it's a record hour, I and mean, it is anyway, which beats, I think it was 1929 was the last time uh, that many have been scored. Uh, most wins in a calendar year, 34. Most away wins of any team, 18. 
I mean, this is some side, isn't it, and some manager? I, I think, I mean, everyone says we're probably playing the ultimate football this year in some ways. Uh, those rascals speak for themselves. When you think of the runs we've had since last January, and, you know, we had a poor start, didn't we, last season? Uh, but then we got going in January, didn't we? December, Jan. Uh, we've been very good, really, this season. When you look, suddenly our record's good. And and actually, I think some of the football we played this year has been the best we've ever played. So it's been an unbelievable year. And when you mention those records, it is beyond belief what we're watching. I don't really think we'll ever see this again, do you? Well, we start every season. Yeah, I mean, it is remarkable. Yeah, I mean, we, we do do it every season, John, and, and I always ask you the same question pretty much every time you come on because with the greatest respect, you've been probably watching City longer than most people come on this show and, and we talk about the greatest ever City side and it's just getting better and better, as you say. So it, it, is this the best City side you've now seen just because they're better again than last season and the season think, before that? I think it probably is. Uh, for one reason, uh, above all others, actually, and I keep hearing this phrase in commentary, but it's literally true. We manage games a lot better now, don't we? I mean, you know, we are defensively so sound, only nine games, uh, nine goals conceded all season. And therefore, instead of approaching every match with the feeling that I'll still be panicking with, if we're 3-0 up with 10 minutes to go, which used to be the case many, many years ago, and was still the case lingering in my mind anyway for years, many, many years after that, I'm now confident that in the vast majority of cases we're going to win. They're a very well-managed side, which is, says everything about Pepper, of course. But on the field, they're, you know, they are defensively very, very well-organised team. And some of the football, is, it's like watching a ballet sometimes, isn't it? It's so well-orchestrated. Yeah. It's so well-orchestrated. And it's an absolute joy to watch. I mean, those who keep, people who keep saying, oh, City are boring. They're only boring because we never give anyone else the ball, you know, simply. The other, the other side don't get a chance, basically. Uh, or don't get enough chances to form any kind of formidable attacking force. And therefore, it's a very one-sided game. But I'm not complaining. Stephen, this, this issue about the defence, it's funny because we always say that great teams are built on a good defence and so on. But, but we don't tend to talk about that with City. It tends to be those creative midfielders that we've got and that amazing sort of front three who are totally interchangeable and, 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 and so on. But, but, and yet, our defensive record is quite outstanding. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if we don't, well, we don't have to do that much defending because we have the ball the whole time. And you look at the... The, the number of shots that we actually concede, not goals, but shots that, Ed, that we face, let alone ones on target, off target, we just don't concede those opportunities. And some of that is down to the defence that we have. Walker is, is as good as he's been for us. Cancelo's been brilliant this season. We've got three centre-backs who would get into any other team in, in the Premier League. And Rodri as, as holding midfield does this season probably more than ever give that protection. But it's not as if they're putting their bodies on the line the whole time and making these last-ditch interceptions or blocks. We manage a game, as the guys have said, through having the ball and just total control. And it's everything that you hear when pundits watch us. It's almost as if they're surprised that when we lose the ball in an attacking area, how quick we are to press and win it back. Yeah, that's nothing new to us. We see it every single game, every week. That intensity to win the ball back high up the pitch and have another attack and sustain attack. So 
we don't have to do a lot of defending because of the quality that we have throughout the team. And if a team does get through us, Diaz, Stones, Laporte, you know, the fullbacks that we've spoken about, we've got a keeper who is the best in the world with the ball. So, you know, we, we do look really strong all over. And as, as the guys have said, it, it shows how well Pep has set the team up. I'm interested, you know, when we when we get on together and start talking about sort of playing as if it's a ballet, and yet you've got journalists and other fans kind of crying about City, and it's one of the questions that we've had on Twitter today, is why is it that opposition fans and journalists are crying about City? Why, why do you think that is, John? Because surely they can recognise the amazing setup. You talk about managing the games, the creative players who've got the goals that we're scoring from all over the pitch, and the sort of football that we're playing is magnificent. So, so why is it that people are taking that view of City, do you think? Well, when you say crying, you mean moaning about City? Yeah, uh, well, obviously, there's an element of jealousy. Uh, there, I mean, I reject allegations about widespread bias in the media, as I would, wouldn't I, because I was part of the media. And I don't, and, and, but predominantly because I don't think it's true. I think City fans get a little bit, some City fans get a little bit neurotic sometimes about the media coverage of Manchester City. I don't think it's as biased and as prejudiced as, as many people uh, consider. I think it's overall, overall pretty fair. There are exceptions to that rule, of course. Um, I think it's just 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 jealousy. Basically. I mean, they don't like the idea that this team that's not Manchester United is suddenly the dominant team in Manchester. They don't like the idea that a team from the northwest of an unfashionable part of the country is doing is doing so well. I mean, it's it's as, as simple as that. It, it doesn't bother me actually. I, I think if anything, it probably acts as a spur to City to Pep Guardiola, Pep and and the team generally to 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 do even better. Quite frankly, it's it's quite a good thing to have. David, do you have a view on this sort of fans, other fans of clubs, other clubs rather sort of taking a rather dim view of the sort of football that City are playing, that it's kind of boring and so on at times? Um, no, I, what I find is I can see where in the funny way, I see a little bit where they're coming from. In sometimes when we start off a bit slow, we can, our build-up can be a bit slow. But it, I don't know why they moan about that. Yes, it can be because we have always got the ball. So you can see where they sometimes come from. But what I would say is that the commentators and the pundits and when you read the papers, they wax lyrical about our football. And actually, most times, sometimes they're over the top about certain players who sometimes we ourselves are a bit more critical of. And they still think they're like world class. I mean, I mean, Sterling probably did not have his best year by any any chance, but how he got to be on sports personality <laughs> as one of the contenders was quite remarkable because he had a pretty poor season. So, in in a funny way, it's quite split between what the fans think and what the experts think. So, um, yeah, we, we we touched on sports personality the year and, and Sterling last week, S- Stephen. Yeah, I think David's right in in a lot of what he says there. I think we, we shouldn't take a few. Twitter comments, a few social media comments from from fans of other teams as, oh, you know, we don't like City, it's boring. I, I agree. I think the pundits are um, very praise or give us a lot of praise that that we deserve. You, but I can also understand it to a degree. We're not the same City of three, four years ago when it was, it was a bit quicker. You had someone like David Silva feeding balls to either wing. You had Sane and Sterling and their pace getting to the byline and putting those crosses in, we're a lot more 
measured and methodical, I think, in how we play now, which you can understand it's very different to at the weekend. You know, I watched the Spurs-Liverpool game. It was a brilliant game to watch. It was end-to-end, really open, lots of chances for both teams. But that's because both teams were quite flawed and there wasn't really a midfield and both defences were open. And people want to see that because it's a really fast, action-packed, exciting game. We don't have those games generally because we're so good. So as I said, I can understand where maybe the germ of that idea comes from. But again, I don't think it's really one that that pervades too widely beyond a few people on social media. Yeah, Stephen's just expressed far more eloquently than I did my, my point precisely. And you know, how come? How can eleven goals in two games be boring? It can't. Well, be they, yeah, but they weren't boring games, that's for sure. <laughs> and we're violently a Leeds game. And. Can I just talk about the guys on the naughty step very briefly? Obviously, we don't know the detail of this, but it but it appears that, that both Grealish and Foden were kind of rested for behavioural reasons, is what we can gather. Uh, not, in, not entirely sure what that means. Don't know how serious it is. Um, anybody particularly got a view on this? Have they heard anything? Have they got any thoughts on this? And, and maybe how long Pep might keep them out for, knowing what a disciplinarian he is? I, David, I... You, you, Sorry, John, yeah. Well, I know no more than you do. I mean, I thought it would be odd that both of them were left out, but then we now know the reason why. I have no idea what the misdemeanours were, uh, but it's indication, another indication that Pet will, won't take any nonsense. I also wondered, and I'm not making any insinuations here, but I also wondered where Walker was. Was he injured, really? Or, or was it... Was Because when you talk about people misbehaving off the pitch, obviously, Carl Walker comes to mind. I think it's been reported that he has an illness. Yeah, I think his is, 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 is more about fitness, but these two were singled out, I think. And again, we're, we're kind of just trying to pick, pick up the scraps here a little bit. Stephen, you, you, you always have your, your ear. I don't know. I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if there was any behavioural issue. Um, and if there was, Pep wouldn't put them on the bench if he was that annoyed with them. I, I, who knows, with Pep, it may have been lost a bit in translation, but they played the last game. Um but that, that's the nature of our squad. You he did can br- say, he did say can, in the press conference, Stephen, that uh, you know what, how, how people behave off the pitch is important. Been, yeah, they, maybe. They, but they it, it may have been, if they misbehave off the pitch, they'll be left out. I mean, that was... Yeah, it may have been translation. something like, you know, the, Raheem has trained brilliantly this year or this week or Jesus has worked hard. I, I think if they really had misbehaved, they wouldn't have been on the bench and yeah, an option really to bad. come on. Okay, yeah. We, we don't know, but that's just, you know, you can bring in Mahrez, Jesus and Sterling as your front three and not really notice much of a difference. I'm keen to get on to the topic that John started with, with sort of cheese and wine parties and, and social distancing in a moment and the whole sort of COVID situation. But before we do that, just one other question. Two weeks ago, everybody was talking about it was Chelsea's title. They were the favourites. Um would you say, David, that we're favourites now? Would you be sort of be able to sort of stick your head above the parapet and, and, and make that statement? City's strong favourites to the title now. Uh, I would say I wouldn't say strong. I think they're just slightly a nose ahead of Liverpool. Liverpool are playing well. You can't deny. It. Yes, they probably slipped up a bit yesterday against Spurs, but I think it's between us and Liverpool at the moment. Uh, just by a nose to us, but you know you. Some of Liverpool's football is very good and um, they're going to keep going. You know, they, like us, have won the last seven or eight, haven't they, until yesterday. 
Chelsea have lost a bit of momentum, but they, to be fair, they're slightly weak at the moment. They've got several people, much many more people out with COVID. Uh, Inganti, who's really one of their most influential players, has been injured. Um, so he's been out for a while. So I think it's a bit hard to judge Chelsea at the moment because of those reasons. So, um, but anything can change. I agree with David, actually. I think it's between us and Liverpool. Uh, I watched that Spurs-Liverpool game yesterday. team was absolutely right. It was a cracking match. I mean, it's far more exciting than our match, I must, I must confess. It was a really brilliant encounter. And, of course, don't forget Liverpool without Van Dijk yesterday, weren't they, which is a, a, a crucial factor as far as they're concerned. Those, front, those three up front are, are dynamite, absolute dynamite. I was rather hoping that, you know, that Liverpool will lose a couple of them for the African Nations Cup. That would uh, certainly enhance... City's chance, if that did in fact uh, happen, there's, a, there's some talk of that being suspended. I gather because of COVID, but who knows? But it's to me, to me it's definitely between City and uh, and Liverpool, uh, and I think Liverpool are very strong contenders. I was I was really pleased when we eradicated the goal difference between the two of us because I thought that at the end of the day might be the difference, but uh, not not anymore. So yeah, I, I think City are in the more than a fighting chance, but I think it'll be tight. Uh- Two horse race, Stephen, with City favourites. That seems to be the view from from our other two guests. I think it's still a three horse race, and I think it will constantly change throughout the season. You know, there's. Uh, I think the gap between the top three and whoever finishes fourth will be huge. I think there is a huge um, gap in quality between the top three and and the rest of the pack. There's so many games to go. We're all going to drop points. Um, Chelsea have, have had a little rut for the last three or four games, but will get stronger when all of their players get back from COVID. So uh, I think we're ahead at the moment on points, momentum, confidence, rhythm, all of that. But I wouldn't discount Chelsea just yet. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Let's talk about COVID then. And John, you, you sort of put something on Twitter earlier on today and Monday afternoon. And, and before we do that, I do find it funny that City were criticised for postponing their game against Everton last year and now we're being criticised for having enough fit players to turn up and play. I think that's quite ironic, but it's uh, it's the truth of the situation, of course. Um, so so you, you posed this question. I'm going to come to you first, John, so you can have an answer it as well as posing it if you wouldn't mind. And it should Premier League players be forced to show proof of vaccination um, and if they don't, should they be stopped from playing? Because after all, the fans who who can't show can't uh, show proof can't can't turn up and, and watch the game. So, so do you have a, a an answer to the question that you posed? Well, first and foremost, I'm absolutely astonished that so many players have not been vaccinated and not had their booster. There's some figures just released just before we started talking to each other about 20 minutes before I was just watching uh, uh, BBC Sport. 
BBC Sports said that a recent survey of oh, figures released by, by the Premier League say 77% of players in the Premier League have now been vaccinated. Didn't say they've been got the booster, but they've been I presume it meant they've been double vaccinated. Why have they not had the booster? Why have the rest not had the booster? Why why well more than 20% not been vaccinated at all, apparently. And why have they not more not had the booster jab? I mean, these are athletes. These are guys who on, on, a, on a weekly basis, sometimes twice a week, have more physical contact with other human beings than any of us in, in, at any stage in our lives. You know, what they're doing is potentially dangerous, actually, uh, week after week after week. Why are they not being vaccinated? And, you know, I, I elaborate, to elaborate on my point, you know, I just read a fresh protocol from City, just again, just before we came, and I was saying, we're now going to have to fill in a form before we go to a match. I don't know what the questions are. I didn't have a chance to look at it, but we're going to have to fill in a form, presumably declaring, our, our state of health, et cetera, et cetera, show our, our vaccination record. And I have absolutely no problem in doing that whatsoever. And I, I do believe, I think I think it's right we, we have to do that. Yeah, I think it's right. I mean, if you're going to a stadium of 50,000 people, you should be taking all the precautions you possibly can if you want to take that risk. But if we're having to take that risk, in order to see the game, why shouldn't the players who are taking part in the game uh, be subject to the same regulations and, and, and recommendations? I find it staggering that they're not, quite frankly. And can I think I, that, that the fact that not is one of the main reasons why I've had so many games postponed. If I can come back to you, John, I, I read an article somewhere which had kind of the top five reasons. I'm kind of partly making this up because it's in my distant memory and my brain is not as sharp as it used to be when I was as young as David. Um, but but I think it kind of gave the main reasons why people, young people, and we're talking about younger people generally here, these young athletes you're talking about. And one was the concern about by having the jab, it can affect your health. Ongoing, not and we hear, we hear of people oh, highly unlikely. We hear of people sort of having the jab and then getting long COVID and so on. And I know people are in that category myself. Yeah, yeah. And happen. then, the, and then there's the also I read there's some potential fertility issues as well. So I think there are. I'm not saying it's an interesting debate, but I do understand there are issues and there are things that potentially would be getting in the way and reasons why these young are, and you might you, and you might get knocked down when you cross the road Nigel you know I mean these things are going to be taken into context the overwhelming scientific evidence across the world from the World Health Organization from every expert we have in this country the overwhelming evidence is, is the best thing you can do is get a vaccination and and currently get a booster it's end of story it's it's not really an argument of course there'll be exceptions to the rule you know you could you could cause yourself injury not injury because of health problems taking all kinds of drugs or having all kinds of vaccination there's a tiny tiny chance that might happen but the overwhelming evidence is absolutely resounding it's a safe and a safe thing to do and the best thing to do right now the thing that i think surprises me with the premier league players and i think it's something like the premier league just announced about 16 percent of premier league players haven't been vaccinated at all and yeah. maybe 20 percent have only had one or something like that. The And I think Nigel's right. There are, whether we agree with them or not, there are reasons that they believe are true or could impact them and they're athletes, so they're naturally fit anyway and therefore they're young and healthy, so would be in a position to fight it off. The bit that really surprises me is every other aspect of a footballer's life is so heavily controlled, both on the pitch and training, what time they train, what they need to wear, what you know, where they need to go, how often they should be training, how long they should be training. But outside of that, the medical side, they will rely on nutritionists to tell them what to eat, met physios to tell them how best to recover, 
if they don't get a serve, how how long they should be sleeping, what type of mattress they're sleeping on. Everything is so carefully controlled that this is just almost another side of that. They should have, you would have thought the clubs have medical professionals there telling them, this is the guidance in this country and it's there for a reason and this gives you the best chance of being safe and for those around you being safe as well. That's the part that really surprises me that for an industry where so much is controlled about what they do and don't do, this is all COVID and vaccines have taken on a life of of their own. And there's people who say, you know, they've got so much time outside of training to just go online and find these theories that, you know, are a bit left field. That's the part that really surprises me. Um, whether you should treat them differently to John's question, I, I'm not sure you can um, or should because they, they're probably representative as well of maybe that younger generation who aren't as hitting the 90, 95% vaccination rates that the other age groups are. It's, it's a really tricky, thorny, and without wanting to go into it, probably political decision that is not for the Man City Show podcast. I just don't think you can necessarily treat them as separate because they're role models or they're on the pitch. Oh, go on then, David. Yeah. First of all, other European clubs are up to 90 to 95% vaccinated. So why are the English clubs not as vaccinated as Europe's clubs? That's one interesting point. What do they do to persuade them? That's different. And what worries me and bothers me is that they've got no idea the effect they can have on passing it to the club, their own families, because let's face it, they all hug each other and they're all close with each other. And they're all and you watch them celebrating a goal, they're all over, they're all kissing each other. Yeah? Supposed to Not stopped. even separate. That was, so, that was supposed to stop when this first happened. That was and it didn't yeah. And yet they don't realise that it takes one person with this new virus to pass it to each other, which means the games will be cancelled, then they're gonna back up the games, exactly. then they're gonna take it home and give it to the families, and the families give it to people, and they've got older members of families. It's all the ramifications, you know. It's like when you and and the people are going to suffer for it. Uh, as much as people have taken all the care to be careful, and they're going to ruin it for all the others. You know, it's like the naughty kid in the class who gets the whole class in detention because the naughty kid's been naughty. In a way, that's what it is. And I think that's they just don't understand the ramifications. And the impact they're going to have on other people. And, and David, would you? I mean, the Premier League have decided, I think, again this afternoon to, to carry on playing. There was a suggestion that maybe should they pause for a couple of weeks um, to kind of make it fairer for everybody. Would you have been a fan of that? Would you have been happy if you'd heard a, a bit of a pause for two weeks, put the foot on the ball, to using a football analogy, and not playing for a couple of weeks uh, to sort this out or not? No, I don't. I think once you start pausing, how long does it go on for? Four weeks, six weeks. We're in a World Cup year next year. Any pauses now will have ramifications on the end of the season and then the start of next season. And I just think you're getting this cycle of after two weeks, it's not going to make a big difference, is it? It's all going to come out after that anyway. It's not going away in two weeks, is it? So, so do, does anybody have a solution then to, to this this problem we have? I mean, John, have you any any further thoughts on on what the if we're not going to pause because of the World Cup? What should we be doing? Well, I must say I was rather surprised by that reaction from from the Premier League today. I thought they would they would go for a pause, uh, and I have to say also that 
I'm not entirely sure. I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm not entirely. I've got uh, tickets for Brentford. I've got tickets for Arsenal away. I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I want to go, given the rapid rate of of infections in, in in London in particular at the minute. I mean, it's really quite scary. I mean, everyone knows you know, at least fifty percent of their mates who've got it. So, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I would I would go ahead. Um, I understand what David's saying, uh, but there are certain things that are rather more important than football, and one of them is the you know, health and well-being of, of the nation as a whole. And you know, if we're looking at you know the pot- potentially thousands of deaths, I think you know the football authorities, in common with everyone else, have to take a very considered view of this. Stephen, a final thought from you before we look forward to the sort of Christmas fixtures. It's an impossible one to answer when we don't have all the the information. I think David's point is right we're in a world cup year they just don't have time to play with in terms of the calendar next season is already starting earlier than usual because you've got the world cup in the end of november and the players need time before the world cup to go off to the international teams this season's already finishing late if you're a team like city who are going to hopefully get to the later stages of different cup competitions that then impacts the number of midweeks you have free for any games to catch up in the Premier League. There just, there isn't the time. And, and City, it seems like we're almost the only squad, we're not sure about Walker, whether that's COVID or other illness. We're pretty much the only squad who don't have cases and have a full squad to choose from. Um, so if we were to have, have like Spurs or you know, whoever, have had two or three games postponed, where on earth do they catch up? Spurs have had it in the the conference league that they're in. They're just where they couldn't play against Wren. There is not another date in the diary that they can play and then they've had to forfeit the game, which it's a separate conversation. That poses a really tricky dilemma for UEFA further down the line with maybe a Champions League quarterfinal, semi-final, if a team can't play because of COVID cases, is now that is that the precedent now set that you lose 3-0? Um, it it's so hard for us to sit here and go, this is what should happen. Um, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully everyone just stays safe and, and cases die down quickly, but we'll see. Absolutely. We all uh, agree with that. D- David, just quickly, let's uh, let's talk about Boxing Day because we're actually going to be back uh, next week uh, before the Leicester game anyway. So let's just talk about uh, our Boxing Day fixture, of course, which is at home to Leicester City, three o'clock kick-off Sunday the 26th of December. Your your thoughts ahead of that one, David? Uh, we've had a bit of history there, didn't we? Um, this time of the year, we seem to always seem to play last around about this time of the year, don't we? And uh, we've had mixed results against them as well. Um, they're not playing as well this year. Um, and I think we should be good enough to beat them this year. Um, much more. I think uh, they're not firing, are they, properly? as well as they were, so we're playing well. So we should, you know, that should be a better game for us this year. Stephen, Boxing Day at the Etihad. Yeah, they they used to be, and, and still are to a degree, a, a very dangerous team. But you look at what they've done recently, there's a bit of pressure on Rodgers. He's dropped Vardy to the bench for a few games. They're just not that same sort of slick counter-attacking team that we've come up against before. So if we've got a, a fully fit or near enough squad to choose from, I'd, I'd back us to come out on top. And finally, John, your thoughts ahead of the Leicester game? 3-0 City. Simple as that. Fantastic. 
Listen, huge thanks to my three guests, to David Blakeney, to A View from a Blue, Stephen Allwise, and to John Stapleton. This is Nigel Rothband saying, have a very Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you'd like to advertise on or sponsor this show, contact us at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.